0: Hello and welcome to Solutions. This is the 10th episode of a third series of podcasts for solution-focused hypnotherapists and I'm Cathy Eland.
1: And I'm Trevor Edels, and we're both experienced solution-focused hypnotherapists.
0: Today we're looking at addiction and cravings and how we can help our clients who are struggling with them.
1: I suppose we should start with some working definitions. Addiction, or dependency, describes the compulsion a person feels to continue taking drugs, or whatever habit they have, in order to feel good or avoid feeling bad, despite adverse or negative consequences.
0: And the thing about addiction is it tends to run in a cycle of trigger, craving, and using.
1: So that's where the craving part comes in.
0: Yes, but unfortunately, the fourth part of the cycle is the using or doing part and can often lead to unwanted negative consequences. For example, guilt and shame, self-hatred, withdrawal, poor mental and physical health and financial difficulties, etc. These negative consequences can act as a trigger of further craving and the cycle then starts again.
1: It's important to point out that the DSM-5 The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders separates substance use disorder, commonly called substance abuse, from impulse control and addiction.
0: So that's interesting. So let's start with substance use disorder. What is it?
1: Right. DSM-5 refers to alcohol, tobacco and cannabis addictions as substance use disorders. The use of drugs and or alcohol can lead to physical and psychological problems affecting a person's work and home life. Long-term overconsumption of alcohol can lead to weight gain, high blood pressure and depression. There can also be liver damage, problems with their immune system and some cancers. Drug use may lead to depression, schizophrenia and personality disorders.
0: Okay. And impulse control and addiction. Well, people with impulse control disorder cannot withstand the urge to perform problematic behaviours, for example, gambling or kleptomania or pyromania or hair pulling, an intermittent explosive disorder, regardless of the consequences. With addiction, a previously pleasurable activity becomes compulsive and interferes with daily life. Addiction to sex, exercise, shopping and the internet are all impulse control disorders. A person feels increasing tension or arousal, they perform the impulsive act, they get some pleasure or relief while doing it and feel regret or guilt afterwards.
1: Worryingly, addiction is reckoned to affect one in three people, according to the charity Action on Addiction. And people can become addicted to many different things, not just opium, cigarettes or other drugs, alcohol, solvents. Common addictions include nicotine, coffee or caffeine, gambling, anger as a coping strategy, food, technology, sex and work.
0: Addiction usually starts with an activity that is pleasurable, a, a mental high. People then want to repeat the pleasurable experience and do it more and more often. However, the body adapts to most things and the amount of pleasure felt decreases. And this is called hedonic adaption, leading people to have to take more of a drug or gamble larger amounts or more frequently or generally needing more or more often whatever it is they are addicted to. And this can lead to compulsive behavior. Soon, not doing the activity or not taking the drug can lead to unpleasant withdrawal symptoms and so people will continue taking the drug or performing the activity irrespective of the bad effect it is having on their health and social relationships and by then the addiction has got out of control.
1: Addictive stimuli are A. Reinforcing. They increase the likelihood that a person will seek repeated exposure to them and B. Intrinsically Rewarding they're seen as being inherently positive, desirable, and pleasurable.
0: Right. Um, People are likely to become addicts because of genetic or environmental risks. Studies estimate that genetic factors account for 40 to 60% of the risk factors for alcoholism. Studies performed on twins found that rarely did only one twin have an addiction. In most cases, where at least one twin suffered from addiction, both did, and often to the same substance.
1: Yeah, let's look at environmental factors. They include age, adolescence is a period of unique vulnerability for developing addiction.
0: Right, and comorbid disorders include people with co-occurring mental health disorders, for example, depression, anxiety, anxiety. ADHD or PTSD, are more likely to develop substance use disorders.
1: People don't start out as addicts. There are stages. These are experimentation. There's a curious stage when people are simply trying something new.
0: Yeah, then it becomes regular use. People actively try to recreate the experience. At this stage, quality of life is not affected.
1: Then there's increased use and occasional behaviour escalates to frequent use. Risky behaviour may occur.
0: And finally, dependence. The person can no longer function normally or happily without taking a particular substance or carrying out an activity. Withdrawal symptoms are strong, and despite negative consequences, the user cannot stop.
1: Because addiction affects a person's brain's executive functions, People with an addiction may not be aware that their behaviour is causing problems for themselves and others. Over time, craving the pleasurable effect of a substance or behaviour may dominate all of a person's activities, resulting in them losing control over its use. The good news is that research suggests recovery is the rule rather than the exception. For example, over 15% of soldiers in the Vietnam War were addicted to heroin by the time they got back to the USA after the war. And yet, more than 95% of those soldiers stopped using heroin once back in the USA.
0: And in normal circumstances, the neurotransmitter dopamine is what conditions us to do the things we need to do like eating. An increase in dopamine levels motivates us to perform these actions.
1: So what's actually going on inside an addict's brain?
0: Okay. On a good day, when we do something that's important for survival, like eating, when we're hungry or having sex, neurons releasing dopamine in the ventral tegmental area, or the VTA, are activated. Signals are sent to the nucleus accumbens, which is referred to as the brain's pleasure centre. This rush in dopamine tells the brain that the behaviour should be repeated. Neurons also send signals to the frontal cortex, which focuses attention on the beneficial activity. And this is the reward pathway.
1: However, most addictive drugs cause huge amounts of dopamine to build up in the reward system. In fact, addictive drugs raise the dopamine level by as much as five or ten times the normal amount. This creates a drive to seek out more of the drug. Yeah,
0: The probability that a drug or behaviour will lead to addiction is directly linked to how quickly dopamine is released, the intensity of that release and the reliability of the release. When the nucleus accumbens gets extra dopamine, the hippocampus remembers the rapid sense of satisfaction and the amygdala creates a conditioned response to the stimulus. And that's where things change from liking something to becoming addicted to it.
1: It seems that dopamine interacts with glutamate, another neurotransmitter, to take over the brain's system of reward-related learning. Repeated exposure to an addictive substance or behaviour causes nerve cells in the nucleus accumbens and the prefrontal cortex to couple liking something with wanting it, in turn driving us to go after it. It means that people become motivated to seek out the source of the pleasure.
0: Right. Now, dopamine itself doesn't make you feel good. The feelings of pleasure comes from opioids and endocannabinoids in the brain neurochemicals which increase pleasure and deaden pain. Dopamine helps your brain to recognise what's called incentive salience, a type of motivation resulting from an association between a certain stimuli and reward. And that means a person will want to do it again and again, and it becomes a conditioned reflex.
1: Over time... The consistently high levels of dopamine result in a reduction in the number of dopamine receptors. As a consequence, a person loses the urge to seek out food and social engagement. Instead, drug cues become powerful triggers for dopamine release, causing intense cravings. And this happens even if the person wants to stop or doesn't enjoy using the drug.
0: So a person's brain requires more dopamine than it can naturally produce and it becomes dependent on the drug, which never actually satisfied the need that has been created.
1: Just to be clear, pleasure and wanting are different in the brain. Wanting is driven by dopamine and the nucleus accumbens.
0: And pleasure is associated with the other brain chemicals such as opioids and endocannabinoids.
1: Some of the negative effects that can result from addictions and addictive behaviours include family breakdown,
0: strained or ruined relationships,
1: job loss and unemployment,
0: legal problems including arrest and imprisonment,
1: financial problems,
0: homelessness,
1: suicidal thoughts and behaviours
0: and the health consequences that are related to substance abuse include liver damage,
1: High blood pressure, stroke and heart problems.
0: Problems in brain functioning.
1: Pancreatitis. Gout. Ulcers.
0: Sexual dysfunction.
1: Kidney failure.
0: Weakened immune system.
1: Increased risk of numerous types of cancer. Yeah.
0: So there are biological, psychological and environmental factors that contribute to the risk of addiction. Now the biological factors include...
1: genes. Estimates vary, but scientists find that genetic factors contribute about half the risk for developing a substance use disorder. For example, one factor linked to vulnerability is variation in the gene that determines the makeup of the brain receptors for the neurotransmitter dopamine. Another factor appears to be the nature of the body's hormonal response to stress.
0: Okay. Physiological factors, these are variations in liver enzymes that metabolise substances are known to influence the risk of alcohol use disorder. And
1: gender. Men are more likely to develop substance use disorder than women, although the so-called gender gap may be narrowing for alcohol use disorder. And women are more subject to intoxication effects at lower doses of alcohol.
0: That's interesting. The psychological factors include personality factors. Both impulsivity and sensation-seeking have been linked to substance use and gambling disorders. Impulsivity may be particularly related to the risk of relapse.
1: Trauma and abuse. Perhaps by sensitising brain pathways of alarm, distress, or perhaps by adding to the burden of stress. Early exposure to significant adverse experience can contribute to the development of substance use disorder by overwhelming the coping ability of an individual.
0: And mental health factors, conditions such as depression, anxiety, attention deficit disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, increases the risk of addiction. Difficulties managing strong emotions are also linked to substance use.
1: The environmental factors include family factors. While strong family relationships have been shown to protect against substance use disorders, several aspects of family functioning or circumstances can contribute to addiction risk. Having a parent or sibling with an addictive disorder raises the risk, as does lack of parental supervision or support. Poor quality or troubled parent-child relations and family disruptions such as divorce, add to the risk. Sexual, physical or emotional abuse also increase the risk. Research shows that marriage and taking on child raising responsibilities mitigate the risk of addiction.
0: Right. And of course, there's accessibility factors. Easily availability of alcohol or other substances in one's home or school or work or in one's community increases the risk of repeated use.
1: Peer group. As social animals, people are strongly influenced by their peers and, in general, seek to be liked by them, adopting many of their behaviours, particularly during the adolescent years. Positive social relationships are known to strongly protect against substance use.
0: And employment status. Having a job and providing the skills for employment exerts pressure for stability and provides financial and psychological rewards that mitigate addiction risk.
1: With such a long list, you might be surprised that more people aren't addicts.
0: I agree. Uh, So what can we do for people who want to stop being addicted? The answer is all the usual things of helping them relax and reduce the stress in their life, helping them to empty the stress bucket and helping them to sleep. In addition, scaling can help them to see they are making progress and the miracle question can help them to visualise a life without the addiction.
1: Good questions to ask them include, what's changed since you first contacted me and now?
0: For you, what's the most important reason to change your behaviour?
1: When do you plan to stop?
0: What do you plan to do instead?
1: Currently, when don't you need to take the drug to form the behaviour?
0: Why isn't your addiction worse?
1: What strengths have helped you?
0: How have you coped?
1: If an addict is seeing you, Make sure that they want to change and aren't being sent by someone else or just seeing you to complain about the NHS or their CBT sessions. Assuming that they do want to change, then solution-focused hypnotherapy is the best method to help them.
0: I absolutely agree. Well, I hope you found that useful. I hope you have an enjoyable Christmas.
1: Next year, we'll be looking at how music affects the brain.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. Until then, it's goodbye from me, Cathy Eland. Happy Christmas.
1: Yeah, it's goodbye from me, Trevor Ettles. We'll see you next time. Yeah, Bye. Bye. Bye.